All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Timeout Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. Today is Sunday, March 27th. Uh, and if you heard that right, I did say March. So we are still in the midst of March Madness. Tons to go over. A lot of craziness, a lot of records uh, being broken, history being made. And so let's start with the, the craziest news of all. And that's uh, a game that went down in the Sweet, sweet 16. 15 seed St. Peter's upsetting three seed Purdue and making it to the elite eight, which is absolutely insane. Um, no, this is the first time the 15 seed has ever made the elite eight. Uh, and so it's incredible that the Peacocks were able to do this. This was a great game, very back and forth. Um, I thought that like, this was going to go to overtime, but Jaden Ivy's shot just missed. It was so close. Um, so yeah. What do you think of St. Peter's? what do you think of this game? Um, and what do you think of this run that they're going on? Man, I mean, it's just a pleasure to watch them. I think everybody's got them as their favorite now, just the underdog story. It's like really the perfect story. This is only something you could really think like of happening in the movie kind of deal. And yeah, I think a lot of people had like Purdue and Jaden Ivy, like you said, making it to their uh, Elite Eight or even Final Four. So I know this is another big blow to most people's brackets. Um, Obviously, Jaden Ivy with that last shot, it was it was pretty crazy, but you just got to commend St. Peter's and they're just team effort, ball movement um, and great coaching. Yeah, they're, this is a very well coached team. And, you know, they're fighting. They're, they're fighters and they battle every single game. They're diving for loose balls. And it's just a joy to watch them. And I'm excited, like, for their next matchup, because the next matchup, as we'll talk about in the Elite Eight, is going to be St. Peter's versus UNC. And so as a fan, you literally cannot lose with this matchup because either – you have St. Peter's, the 15 seed, making the final four, or you get UNC versus Duke in the final four for coach. That's a. the first time ever that Duke and UNC would have played each other in the March Madness. It's and never it happened be before. Coach K's last game, like potentially, what a matchup that would be. I kind of hope um, St. Peter's run ends here because that history needs to be made. It would be unbelievable to watch. Yeah, for Coach K's last season, it's got to happen. But I would not be mad if St. Peter's made the Elite Eight. I would not either. Um, I mean, uh, you mean the Final Four. Or, sorry, I meant Final Four. What? Yeah. yeah, they're already in the Elite Eight. I will say uh, just about that UNC-Duke game, this is one of the biggest rivalries in all of sports. And so the winner of this game would have the craziest bragging rights ever. Like, it would just dominate. Like, anytime anyone brings up the rivalry – the winner of that matchup would just have the ultimate last word because March Madness is really where it all matters, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that's, that'll be exciting. Um, and yeah, Duke, like you said, they're obviously in the final four now, but they beat Arkansas, the Hogs, who have been on a, a stellar run as well. Um, so you got to commend Duke again. Th this was a team, Duke, that most people didn't have or like, like one of their big upset picks was just like Duke falling out early and yeah. they've obviously like held it together pretty well. Uh, and they, they have a lot of motivation this year. I think especially be coach K's last season, him being such a respected coach, they really want to put on a show and uh, show some love for their coach. Definitely. I definitely think that the farewell tour is sort of playing into their, their great run here. And I, I think you have to credit the players I have to credit, obviously the coaching on, on Duke. Um, this is a tremendous talented basketball program they always are uh, you know know what they're doing and yeah I think like part of it might be part of the run might be fueled by this sort of underdog mentality it's the point where 
a team starts to count out um, a very highly ranked team so much that they start to almost become an underdog. You know, once once Duke starts beating like Texas Tech, Arkansas, people are starting to wake up to the fact that this is actually a legitimate team. And I, I'll admit, like I was one. We talked about this. Like I was one of those people that thought that Duke was going to flame out early. I thought that they were a little too volatile as a squad, and I I wasn't really too big on Paolo. But my opinions have been completely reversed. Um, I'm very big on Duke. I really hope to see that Duke UNC game because I think it would be one of the most electric games of the year in any sport, um, and would just be tr- like a just amazing game to watch. Um, so yeah, I, I've been I've been impressed with Duke. Uh, I guess we can continue going on. Surprising thing for me was uh, UCLA dropping that game to North Carolina and getting eliminated. Uh, UCLA, another team we've talked about that had potential to even win it all. I mean, this is a team that you know made the Final Four last year, um, had a great run. Um, and, and has a lot of talented uh, players, Johnny Juzang, Jaime Hakez Jr., um, uh, Campbell. Uh, I forgot what his first name is, but, you know, there's a lot of really talented players in the squad. And for them, for UNC, number eight seed, to win, I think what this is indicating to me is that the ACC is the best conference in college basketball, and Boston College will be making the NCAA men's basketball tournament next year. Yeah, that's a, a bold take. <laughs> you know, I think actually University of Georgia is going to win it all next year. Uh, uh, <laughs> where's the SEC? Where, where are they in this tournament? You know, that's that's a good question. They, uh, <laughs> they don't want to be here this year. I guess not. <laughs> One thing that's really surprised me is like a lot of like great football programs just really can't put it together when it comes to basketball. Like I, I looked at Clemson last year, Alabama this year and last year. Um, a lot of teams, you know, uh, even, even uh, Texas, you know, like a lot of teams that have very, very strong football programs and do really well in, in, uh, in the regular season in college basketball, when it comes to the tournament, they just sort of fall apart. And I, I don't really know what it is, but like, it's just sort of a recurring theme that I've picked up on. Uh, but but speaking of the ACC, we did have Miami, uh, Tennessee beating Iowa State, and so they're going to be playing Kansas. They're actually playing uh, right now. Oh, they are. Yeah, I, 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 be- I believe it's a tie game. Let me check on the score though. Sure. Well, um, regardless, I think Kansas is going to win this one. I, I like Miami a lot. I think they're a very gritty team. Like their defense is just very stifling. Like they held Iowa State to fifty-six points. Uh, but I think their offense can be kind of stagnant sometimes, and it, they really struggle to get good shots. And I think Kansas is just much more well-rounded. Watch, watch Miami be, like, up 30. <laughs> uh, Miami's actually up three right now, six minutes left in the first half. So, but okay. it's it's a battle. So we'll check on this as the podcast progresses, but I, I, th- I still think Kansas is going to pull through. Yeah, this, this is a – it'll be interesting to see what happens in this game. I – I, w- I want to be uh, a little, I guess, play devil's advocate. I'll go with Miami. I think they've been having a great run. Um, and I just think that they're a scrappy team. This is a team not not big on scoring in general, like throughout this um, throughout this um, postseason. I, what do you call the bracket? Like just March Madness? Like, do, would you say throughout the postseason? Throughout the tournament, I would say. Throughout the tournament, yeah. yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was referred to as postseason. But in, in this bracket, they've been pretty – scrappy and i think kansas um while they are a, a decently physical team i think miami is a little more physical 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think physicality goes a long way in March Madness and in college basketball, even more so than in uh, pro. I, I mean, I would agree with that. Like, I think Miami is a very physical team, and I like the way that, like, I, I like that how that translates into onto their defense. But for me, their offense just at times just looks like such a mess. Like, they really struggle to get good shots, and I think Kansas is really going to abuse that. And when you're like a ten seed playing a one seed in the Elite Eight. You know, that's where all the pressure comes. So when Kansas starts going on a run, we saw this in the game against Providence. Like, they started going on a run, and then the Providence players just, like, defeated. They're like, oh, shoot, this is where we lose. Like, this is where our Cinderella story ends. Um, and it's just really hard when you're playing such a, you know, winning uh, winning program like Kansas in su- on such a big stage. I-, I think that Kansas is really going to pull through. But I would love to be proven wrong. This tournament has been so full of upsets that, you know, it would be great to see. Uh, a couple more things I want to talk about. Uh, Gonzaga, we, we had them going all the way, or at least I did. Uh, or you had them going very far, didn't you? Yeah, I had them uh, final four. So Yeah, so we both had them going really, really far. And to see them lose to Arkansas in the way that they did, um, pretty surprising. I mean, what do you make of this? Um, would you credit more Arkansas, or do you think – Gonzaga like slipped up. What, what? I I really credit Arkansas because they took advantage in. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I forget the their big man's name. The guy's gonna go number one ever, almost likely. Oh, Chet Holmgren. Yeah, Chet Holmgren. They really held him down, and he he was in foul trouble early, and that made it so he couldn't really be aggressive to score. He had to play really light on defense. I'm pretty sure he had four fouls by like a few minutes into the second half, and. If you don't know, then uh, five fouls is the limit in uh, that NCAA, not six. So that, that that means a lot more. That's like having five fouls in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he just had to really play his play a soft game, which really impacted them because he didn't have a great game o- overall. Yeah, I mean, it, it was they, the way they were able to limit Chet. That was surprising. And I think, you know, it, it, for me, just like, I wasn't really able to catch much of this game except little bits and pieces there, but I was really shocked to see this, like just the end result, Arkansas beating Gonzaga. Cause I think Gonzaga was easily the most well-rounded team we've seen in a long time. I mean, we're, we're taking a team that was in the national championship last year, lost a, a very valuable piece in Jalen Suggs, but added arguably an even more valuable piece in Chet Holmgren. Right. And you still have guys like Drew Timmy on the squad, a great coach, great uh program in gonzaga and then arkansas just comes in and just sort of hands them a, a pretty decisive loss i would say like this the score is closer than the game actually was absolutely um really shocking stuff and i guess that's part of why we love march madness just because anything can happen uh but that was definitely a, a huge surprise to me definitely one of the biggest uh shockers of the tournament um so i guess last thing i want to mention in relation to march madness is uh, just the last final four matchup, winner of Kansas uh, Miami versus Villanova um, to make it to the national championship. Um, so yeah, what do you what do you think? Oh, you mean like Kansas Miami versus Villanova? Whoever is going to play that? Yeah. Who do I think will make it? Ooh, mm-hmm. I think Villanova will get there. I, I I'm, I'm either, either way, either way, I think Villanova is getting there. I think they've had a pretty solid run as well and again if you look at the score of that game for it to be 50 44 this is a very low scoring game so both teams weren't really hitting shots but they were playing hard and they were playing scrappy and again either way i think scrappiness is what what 
is what gets you a dub in the tournament. Um, especially yeah. since they're later on the foul calls, or I mean, you, you know what I mean? They like don't call as many fouls and it's just the way it's pure basketball. And I really enjoy watching it. Uh, definitely. And I think like, you know, it was, it was pretty insane to see uh, that Houston Villanova game. Cause Houston shot one for 20 from three. And like, that's unbelievable. It's funny that Houston would be the team to do that considering there's that famous Houston Rockets stat where they shot over 27 from three mm-hmm. against the Warriors against the Warriors. It was unbelievable. So I guess Houston is just cursed from three point land, <laughs> but like, you know, Villanova, they were still able to get it done. Um, they didn't shoot much better. They shot five for 21 from three, but like you said, just being gritty, getting those rebounds, getting uh, to the foul line and knocking down those f- free throws. Uh, you know, not turning the ball over. That's what's going to win you these games, especially when you're not hitting shots. And so I think I think Kansas is still the better team. I think Kansas might be the best team in the tournament uh, still remaining. Uh, so I would, I would, I'm going to go with Kansas. But, yeah, I think if it's Miami that ends up taking, it, uh, taking that matchup, I would go Novus. So I guess my final prediction for the national championship would be um, – Kansas versus Duke, and then I think Kansas is going to win that one. Ooh, the, okay, yeah. I think Duke versus Kansas is actually I, – I might actually go Duke versus Villanova. Sure. And then I think Duke – oh, wait, no. I have Kansas in my bracket is the winning the tourney. I can't actually <laughs> – no. <laughs> I, I've had Kansas winning this entire time, and now I'm going to turn against them at the last minute. No, okay. I'll, 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 I want to play devil's advocate, but I agree with you. Kansas is going to beat Miami. Um, and then I'll say Kansas versus Duke, and then Kansas. So the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had to think about it a little bit, but you know, I, I had Kansas. I had I have Kansas there, so I can't bail on them now. Fair enough. There we go. So hopefully- hey, if 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 I have the right winner though, I'll be I'll be happy considering how crazy this uh this bracket yeah, has been. No, that'll be pretty impressive. Um. So yeah. Okay. We let's transition to talking about the NBA, and uh, you know, we were talking about University of Miami. Let's talk about the professional basketball team in Miami the Heat so the Heat have sort of been kind of a mess as of late they lost four in a row recently Victor Oladipo's looking like he's completely washed up uh Jimmy Butler I think is shooting the lowest three-point percentage since the all-star break he's shooting something like nine percent from three um Russell Westbrook no longer holds that record let's go how insane is that that Jimmy Butler of all people would be that guy um and anyway so I guess this sort of came to a head when uh, Jimmy Butler got into a a very heated argument with Eric Spolstra and Udonis Haslam. Um, All three of them had to be held back so they wouldn't actually physically fight each other, which is crazy because that is very rare to happen with a coach. Yeah. And I guess like it makes sense in this instance because I guess the way I saw it was like Jimmy Butler got into an argument with Spolstra and then Haslam being that heat lifer, you know, he's been with Spolstra since day one he stood up for his coach and is like, Hey, you don't say those types of things. And, and really like laid down the law and, and stood up for his coach. And so then Eric Spolstra ended up missing last night's game due to his son's surgery. And um, I mean, what do you think of this? Do you think this is some sort of cover story? Do you think they could have made it up? Like, what do you think is happening with the heat? What are your overall thoughts? And like, does this argument worry you as we approach the playoffs? I mean, 
to say this argument definitely has like has no impact. I'm not worried about it at all. I, I don't think anybody can look at it and say this is nothing, but I do think they've got, gotten past it. Like the, the reports are that like they've made up whatever. It's, it's all in the past. I don't care. But Jimmy Butler is one of those guys. He went to, he historically has been a locker room trouble. Once he got to Miami, those things kind of died down because he seemed to be a good leader, a good fit. But are those things coming back to haunt him? Maybe. I don't know, because that, that's who he has had been historically. Yeah. And I think you think back to like times in the Timberwolves, like especially seeing how the Timberwolves are thriving now. And, you know, Cat is finding success. Wiggins is finding success. Um, you have to wonder, not is Jimmy Butler the problem, but like maybe he's not the sort of saint who just like really competitive guy who we've made him out to be. But maybe he is like kind of a problematic player. Yeah, absolutely. So do, do I think this is going to impact their playoff run or anything like that? Not really. I mean, the only way I could see it happening is if they like absolutely are getting like decimated in the game and in the postseason and they just get into an argument between the team that kind of falls apart that I could see happening. But I think most likely they'll be able to hold it together um, and say, you know, what? at the end of the day, we're looking for a ring. Let's go get out there and get it. I have a follow-up question. So regardless of what happens in this postseason, the Miami Heat are going to have a lot of questions to answer in this offseason. And I think the biggest one of all is, like, what to do about Tyler Hero. Because Tyler Hero seems to be seeking the max extension, but he's a bench player. Even though he is, I would say, he's the best scorer on the team, um, pretty definitively. Um, I don't know if you can give a max guy that uh, – or, uh, yeah, give a max to a bench player even though he's definitely walking away with six man of the year. Um, it's it's sort of like that James Harden on the Thunder situation. Like, are they just going to let him walk and he's going to go? Ooh, that's a great comparison. He's going to get that money on another team. Uh, what if Tyler Hero goes to my, or goes to OKC actually on a max? <laughs> no, nah, but like seriously. A what sign in trade is possible. What I do mean, you think the Heat should do about Tyler Hero. That's a really tough situation. Like you bring up, uh, Man, it's hard because you, they need Tyler here. They need that score. But when you have – the other side to this is you have so many veteran players. It's nice to have a young guy. I mean, you have Duncan Robinson and you have other young pieces. Uh, you have, like, Caleb Martin. You have um, – I'm trying Bam to think of who else. Bam is pretty young. Bam is young. That's true. Um, Kyle Guy is young. Gabe Vincent's young. But at the end of the day, your star – or, like – the guy who you're centering your team around, Jimmy Butler, is he's getting up there in age a little bit. What is he now? 32, 33, maybe? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's under so, contract till he's like 35, 36. Yeah. So you have to consider your future. Um, but at the same time, like you said, you can't really be given a max contract to a bench guy. Do you start him? Like, is that is, is the solution we start? start him? But then we can't start him and Duncan Robinson. And Duncan Robinson has a massive contract. So... Yeah, that's that's a great point, because let's say in a hypothetical world, Jimmy Butler falls off as he ages like a normal. He's like a normal player, normal star. He he gets worse progressively throughout the years. He'll be worse next year than this year. Let's assume that. Because that's realistic. I mean, most most guys aren't like your LeBron and your Katie's or whatever. Yeah. Uh, is Tyler Hero having a max deal enough to keep you in that competitive spot? if Jimmy Butler is declining and you can't sign another star now because you have Bama at a bio, Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, and Duncan Robinson all under massive contracts. 
And I don't think the answer is yes to that question. That's a, that's something that the Heat is going to have to figure out as an organization, but they are great at finding talent and great at figuring things out. The solution might end up being a sign and trade, but I really don't know who they'd even try to trade for. Yeah, I, if I were the Heat, I mean, it's a really hard question to see to answer. And I think, like, we're really going to have to see what happens in the postseason. I think that's going to be very indicative. Because if we see the bubble Tyler Hero again, who really steps up in the playoffs and thrives in those big moments, then, yeah, I would say, like, you might want to consider doing that max contract and shifting your team around that. Because I think the Heat, not that they gave up on Tyler, but, like, maybe they thought that the bubble was sort of a fluke. Like, most people, I think they saw Tyler Hero have a great run in the bubble – they wanted to see that replicated next season. And Tyler Hero took a step back. He sort of, you know, didn't didn't play that well, was bothered with injury. And then this season, he's came out swinging, coming off the bench, absolutely electric scorer, um, and going to walk away with six man of the year. So, um, yeah, I think that the Heat, they should consider it, even though he is a bench player um, as of now, because it might not always be that case. And Tyler Hero can only get better. You know, we're talking about Tyler Hero right now um, in the same way we would be talking about six man of the year, James Harden. Like if you could have, everyone talks about not giving the max to James as one of the biggest mistakes in NBA history, because what if, I mean, not in NBA history, that's an exaggeration, but like a, a mistake, you know, you would have done different, done things differently if you had uh, the ability to do so. Um, you can so also I, say it's kind of similar to Jamal Crawford as well. Hmm. Um, I'd say like well, another one of those guys, but the, the thing that the OKC had to consider, it was, do we want to keep Serge Ibaka or do we want to keep James Harden? They couldn't keep both. And here yeah. the deal is they can keep everyone together, but is it enough? Yeah. And I think we'll have to, I think again, the postseason is going to be really where that's going to be answered. And I think like, look, we've seen Miami throughout the season look like the best team in the league sometimes. Um, they, they were absolutely dominating the Eastern Conference until recently. And, you know, I think every team sort of goes through these struggles for the most part, though, with very few exceptions. And I think we'll talk about one of those exceptions coming up uh, with that being the Phoenix Suns. But yeah, team absolutely. Sort of has some internal tension, goes through some struggles. But I personally think that the Miami Heat are going to be all right. Like it is in Jimmy Butler's character to be fired up, to be angry and to like really be hot headed when you're not winning. But I think that's only going to serve them for the better because they're going to make the necessary adjustments to get back to winning. Yeah. So you were talking about the Suns a little bit. Um, I'm going to talk about them right now. So the Suns have actually clinched the uh, best record in the entire league now. So they, I believe they have 16. 60 games. They've won 60 games. They're 16, 14 right now. They're an 81% winning or winning percentage, which is incredible. Um, and Chris Paul was out for a, a good period of time. So I know we talked about that previously. So I will say I was wrong. The Suns could win most of their games without him. I was right. You were I'm absolutely sorry. right. Okay, okay, okay. You were absolutely right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not um, right too often, but, so, but I, so, I got it. <laughs> so talking about the MVP in relation to the Suns, historically the MVP has been given to the best player on the best team for the most part, with very few exceptions being Russell Westbrook and like, like historic seasons. Jokic last Jokic, season. exactly. Um, and it, I was going to say in recent history and not, not just like last season, but the past 
maybe since Russell Westbrook won his MVP, it seems like being the one seed has been taken less into consideration than in the past. Like some of the most controversial MVP awards have been like Steve Nash in 2006 because he was the best player on the best team when other people like, you know, maybe Kobe Bryant were having a better season. Or Shaq, Tim Duncan. Duncan, Exactly. The people, these guys who were clearly putting up better statistics on winning teams as well. But Steve Nash was on the best winning, most winning team. Um, And we're, we're seeing this year you have, Obviously, Joel Embiid is on the one seed for his team, um, but other guys like Jokic, DeMar DeRozan was in the race for a while, Giannis even. These guys aren't teams in the one seed. They're in teams four or five, maybe even six seed. So do you think there's a case for Devin Booker, the best player on the Suns, to be the MVP? Absolutely. I think that it's a, it's honestly a really like just uh, – it's honestly – unfathomable how Devin Booker hasn't been mentioned in the MVP conversation for this long. Like first you have to look at his stats. He's putting up 26, five and five, um, which aren't like mind blowing stats, but he's on a 60 win team. And he's done a lot of that without Chris Paul because Chris Paul has missed a lot of time. And we have to get back to rewarding players for winning. The MVP is has a lot to do with winning. So if you're on the most winning team and you're the best player, you have to be top three. I don't think it even matters. Um, Especially when you're like, okay, if you were like, if it was like a very, like um, very balanced team, you know, like the 04 Pistons or something, then maybe that's different because there is no standout best player. But when there is a definitive best player, like Devin Booker, who's top 10 in scoring, who is doing everything for this team, and it's translating to winning, like that's that's got to account for something. And so I, it's like when John Morant is in the is um, in the MVP conversations, and as we're going to talk about, the Grizzlies are really damn good without John Morant. Like, we got to reevaluate how we're we're determining who the most valuable player is. Yeah, I also wanted uh, to talk about like if we're gonna like throw out of the window the idea that the MVP should be word to like winning teams. And, like, we're talking about, like, Jokic, who's on the sixth seed, uh, being in MVP contention. Obviously, he's putting up incredible numbers, and he's doing, like, ridiculous things. Why are LeBron and KD not in MVP conversation? I mean, I know they're the eight in the ninth seed, but, hey, why does that matter if they're putting up some crazy numbers and LeBron's leading the league in scoring and Kevin Durant is looking like his MVP season in year 17 or 16? Mm-hmm. Like, why, why aren't those things being taken into account? Like, why does it matter whether you're the four seed or the eight seed at this point if you're not going to take into account – or if you're just looking at numbers? Yeah, it, like, in that case, like, LeBron would have to be up there because he's putting up some of the best numbers in the league, but he's not – and I think deservedly so because his team is not winning. You have to win to win MVP. Absolutely. And, like, the Suns are probably going to finish – around 64 maybe even 65 wins i mean they're going to be playing they've eight games left uh and they're playing teams like the thunder the clippers sun or uh sorry uh thunder Wait, the suns are playing the suns that'll be a tough matchup that's that, tough That's what that, that, to you know happen. that sounds pretty even to me i don't know who would win that <laughs> it's gonna go on forever but no they're playing the thunder the clippers the the kings the lakers like those are very four winnable games and then they're playing some tough matchups yes in the sixers warriors grizzlies and jazz but like they're probably gonna win like five or six out of those if i'm being honest they're they're 
unbelievable as of late. And I think Devin Booker, I'll say this much. I think if the if the Sixers don't finish as the one seed, then and as of right now, they are the one seed. But I think that this the um if the Sixers finish the one seed, then there is a legitimate case for Embiid to uh to be MVP. But I think it's gotta be a two-man race at this point between Booker and Embiid. You really think there's no argument for Jokic anymore? I mean Jokic is on um what are the what are the nuggets at the six seed? I don't think he's you can win the MVP on the six seed. Um, but there he's uh, a game and a half out from the four seed. Could he win it as the four seed if they if they climb up to the four seed? I'm gonna go with. I, I, the more I think about it, the more I think the MVP. Like I think as of late, what our criteria for MVP has changed. I think it should go back to rewarding winning. So I don't think Jokic should be in that conversation. But there is actually one guy. Besides that, who I think could be in that conversation, depending on if their team continues to win. And so let's just talk about that really quick, because I want to talk about Jason Tatum. Um, Because I think if the Celtics finish as the one seed or two seed, there's a legitimate case for for Jason Tatum to win MVP, which is insane. I'm not okay. I'm also pushing this narrative a little bit because at the beginning of the season, he was my pick for MVP. So, like, if he wins MVP, just give me all the flowers because that's kind of crazy. But anyway, Jason Tatum has put up 34-7-5 and five in March um, on 54-57-90 shooting. The Celtics are 10-1 and one during that span. Um, to show you how insane the Celtics turnaround has been this season, on January 22nd of this year, they were the 10th seed. Then they won 23 out of 27 games to now be the third seed, and they have potential to be the one seed. So do you think if the if the Celtics finish as the two seed or the one seed even, they that Jason Tatum has a legitimate case for MVP? It's possible. I mean, I don't think people are talking about it right now. And I also don't think a lot of people don't realize what the Celtics have done exactly. Um, so I think that might be a part of it. And Jason Tatum has definitely spearheaded that. But you have to also give a lot of credit to the periphery guys on this team. Like, like you were talking about how, like, John Morant, like – this team is so still super good without him. Like we have to look at the same, we have to evaluate the the Celtics in the same light and say this team still has Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, um, and has pretty solid leaders. And like Kobe White has been, or sorry, is it Derek White on the team or Kobe? White? Yeah, it's Derek White. I don't know. If I want to say Kobe White, but Derek White has been great for them as well. Uh, Patrick Williams, obviously. Um, or, wait, no, it's what's you're his thinking, name? No, not player. Patrick. I'm, I'm literally thinking Grant of the Williams. Chicago Bulls. Grant Williams. What? What Grant. is it? Grant. Yes, Grant Williams. Oh my god, he's leading the league in blocks. He's been doing incredible, and he has a oh, oh Robert Williams. Robert Williams. Yes, yes. Oh my god, all the Williams. Okay, okay. Rob- fair, yes. Robert Williams and Grant Williams are both on the Celtics. Yes, I was thinking of Robert Williams leading the league in blocks. Um, so I mean, they still have a very, very good team without Jason Tatum and that that I think leads us into the the Grizzlies a little bit but we, we can stay on pace with with the Celtics and say do, do you think that's a fair evaluation process like if you're gonna critique John Morant's MVP case because his team is good without him they also have to critique the Celtics in the same way sure but I think that the Celtics don't have nearly as good of a record without Tatum as jaw as the Grizzlies without jaw and I also think like when you're fact, yes, I think you should factor in talent when taking into consideration um, MVP. Like, 
when Steph was or when KD was balling out on the 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 Warriors, you know, you definitely have to consider the fact that they have Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, at one point Boogie Cousins, you know, like that's definitely got to play a role. But don't like you can't like um, undervalue other other people's talent to sort of prop up your MVP case. Like we can't just diminish Chris Paul's impact on this team, on the Suns or campaign or even Jamal. Um, what's his name? Hold on. I'm blanking on the name. Anyway. Uh, Wait, are you talking about who? who's MVP case? I was just saying, like, the Suns have a lot of talent as well. I don't know why I'm blanking. Oh, Cameron Payne? Like, who? who? Um, no, no, no. I, I said Cameron Payne. Um, oh, my God. It's it'll, Oh, Mikhail Bridges. And oh, Ken- Mikhail Bridges. Uh, oh. DeAndre Ayton, like, uh, you know, Crowder's on that team. So I don't know why my brain was moving in slow motion there. But, you know what I'm saying? The, po- the, the, the larger point is, like, at some point, I think it becomes kind of negligible. And you just have to look at – stats and winning and impact and i think if the celtics make it as the one or two seed you know we gotta we gotta factor that into consideration and i think he'll be up there in that conversation yeah absolutely um from there i want to slide into the the grizzlies talk a little bit yeah Uh, so john Morant is currently out right now and without him i mean he hasn't been out for this long consecutively but just in general for the whole season the Grizzlies are 15 and two without Jaw. That's pretty incredible for such a young team to be without their leader. And last night they didn't have Jaw, and they beat the Milwaukee Bucks in a 25 point blowout. It was not close pretty much the entire game. And they didn't have their leader, and the Bucks were fully healthy. Yeah. I mean, this Grizzlies team is for real, even without Jaw. And I think that does hurt his MVP case a lot, though. Um, I think it's going to be good for them in the playoffs. Like, I think they'll, they're going to make a good run this year uh, because the team around Ja is also so good. I mean, we look at guys, Desmond Bain, we look at um, Tyus Jones. Um, oh my God. I'm like, why am I blanking on his name? Two way guy. Uh, he was locked. Desmond Bain? No, no, no. Um, he was, he was guarding Steph Curry last year. Uh, oh, oh, I think, you, yes. You know, I, uh, but why are we blinking all the names right now? Xavier uh, Tillman? No, Dylan Brooks. D- Dylan. Dylan Brooks. Yes. Okay, sorry. That was that was that was rough. This Thanks. is rough right now. <laughs> it's all right. We there's just like some sort of amnesia going around. It's contagious. But you know what I'm saying? It's like through the microphone. <laughs> um, I think that you know this definitely is gonna be good for them in the playoffs, but not good for John Morant's MVP case. Oh, yeah, I think this definitely helps them. It, it showcases that, like, in those non-draw minutes, they will be absolutely fine. Like, most teams have to worry about when our stars go out, how are our role players going to, like, battle back against the other team's role players or even the other team's stars. And the, the role players on the Grizzlies have made it very clear, hey, draw, you can get your break, get your five minutes of rest, we'll take care of it, we'll keep it even, or we'll go on a run. Mm-hmm. They like they. This is a team that have shown we will not lose. Like we will not go in a deficit. It doesn't matter what team it is. And that's why I'm big on them in the playoffs. Because like a lot of these teams that are sort of led by a young star, what you run into often is like when the the star is resting, or you know, even if they get hurt, like the team just sort of falls apart. But this Grizzlies team is a is a really like cohesive unit, and they know how to play together. They know how to win together, even without Jaw. 
And so I think that's really going to fare well for them in the playoffs. Um, let's move on to talk about the Warriors, who are right up there with the Grizzlies at the top of the Western Conference. Big, bad, there's really bad news for them coming out recently. That's that James Wiseman is going to be out for the season with a right knee injury. How do you think this is going to affect the Warriors? Uh, is it going to prevent them from making the finals? Is it like the make or break type news, or is this just sort of negligible? Uh, this doesn't really matter at all, considering James Wiseman has not played the season at all, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he hasn't played a single game this season, which is really unfortunate because, I mean, that just shows you that he he just might end up being one of those injury-prone bigs in his career. I mean, he's a guy we have – like, we've ta- been talking about Zion so much and his injury issues. We have to talk about James Wiseman a little bit, too, in that boat. Yeah. He, I mean, he was injury prone in his first season. I think before he ever got into the league, he came in injured, got healthy, played some games for the Warriors, got injured mid-season, came back healthy again, and then he's out in his whole second season. Um, or is it his third season? I think third, right? Yeah, third. You're, you're correct. This is third season. But he's out for his whole third season. No, which, second. Yeah, right? it, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the Warriors were bad last year. They didn't have stuff last year. Yeah. Yeah, it was last year. So his whole second season he's out, which is not a good sign, especially for a big man, a guy who's seven one, seven two, and he's built like uh big. Um yeah. so that's that's unfortunate. Um, but I don't think this has any effect on the Warriors whatsoever. Jordan Poole obviously is a guy who's really stepped it up and I gotta give him all his credit. Gary Payton the second has also been really great for them. Kavon Looney. Kavon Looney. As if we're talking about big men, yeah, Kavon Looney has been great. Um, the only person on the Warriors I can really give any like sort of flack to is Nemanja Bialica as a big man. He is not really doing his part on this team, uh, but everybody else really does have it together. And I don't, I don't care what team you are. I mean, obviously Steph Curry is out right now and he's getting reevaluated soon. So hopefully he'll come back soon. Um, but the Warriors are not a team to mess with. I will say, though, that this is good news if you are the Nuggets or the Timberwolves because, yes, James Wiseman is not an elite defender, but he's a big body that the Warriors could have thrown at uh, Jokic or Cat. And now Cat and Jokic are just going to be having to get guarded by Kevon Looney and Jonathan Kaminga. So expect incredible numbers from either of those two players if they meet the Warriors in the first round. Uh, I, I don't think this is a huge blow to the Warriors, but it is going to sort of hurt them depending on the matchup. So, like, what, keep a watch out for that, you know? Yeah, I mean, I didn't really think about it in that sense, but they there is a very good chance they're playing either Minnesota or uh, Denver, which is really going to hurt them. They could, I mean, also, they could also play the Jazz. So if they end up facing Rudy Gobert, that's going to be even tougher as far as physicality. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would well, say, like, Jokic and Kat are going to pose more of a threat on the offensive end. Oh, but... definitely. But like, as far as how physical that Gobert is going to be on that offensive end, sure, is yeah. something that 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 Kat and Jokic don't have. They have way bigger bags and they're better players, absolutely. But it's just a different type of beast that you have to deal with. Um, that's one thing the Warriors obviously have struggled with the entire like their in- entire time of being the constructed the way they are is big men. Um, Having Travail McGee was super useful to them. Obviously, they don't have him anymore. Um, and they got James Wiseman to solve that issue. So without James Wiseman, like you said, that is a big hit. That I wasn't really thinking of. Um, it's also still very possible that they end up pay- playing the Mavericks. Uh, and if they play the Mavericks, that 
that kind of isn't an issue for them. That's negated. Um, but more than likely, they're not playing the Mavericks. So we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be um, it's going to be interesting to see how the Western Conference, the top of it, plays out because there is ability to have some movement there. Like as you said, the Warriors could play the Mavs. Um, there could be some movement uh, toward the bottom as well with the Nuggets, Timberwolves, Clippers. Uh, so we'll have to see. Um, and I think it's really only going to hurt them depending on the matchup. Uh, but I, one thing I just want to say about um, James Wiseman, at what point do we have to start talking about like the Warriors decision to draft Wiseman instead of LaMelo Ball? Um, because obviously in retrospect, in hindsight, you would definitely draft LaMelo Ball because even if the fit isn't great, like you just are going to take all that talent on the squad. Um, I mean, Wiseman- think about Think about it like, like, let's say they didn't draft Jordan Poole, they drafted LaMelo Ball instead. You could fit him into the same role with more of an on ball effect because, I mean, really, how the Warriors thrive is by Draymond Green being the point guard. And now you can delegate most of that role to a true passer. That's not saying Draymond Green isn't a true passer, but he's a, an all around, does everything kind of guy. If you delegated that role to LaMelo Ball and also made him a three-point shooter. That that's a ridiculous combo. Steph Curry gets to play the most off-ball in in the world, and between Draymond Green, Lamelo Ball, and Steph Curry, the amount of court vision you have would be ridiculous. Yeah. Not only that, but you also have a bigger body in general. As Lamelo Ball isn't a small guy; he's still what six 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 seven maybe. Yep. Um, he's still a tall dude. Um, and Jordan Poole isn't that tall, so it, it he, they really miss out. And I mean, instead of Jordan Poole, you could also have drafted a bigger guy. I mean, that's not to say you shouldn't draft Jordan Poole because you definitely wanted to draft Jordan Poole. He's great. But, but I mean, if you draft LaMelo Ball, you don't draft Jordan. They drafted him the year before, though. Oh, was it Was it the year before? Yeah, Poole was – Oh, yeah, this team. is his – okay, you're right. This is – okay. So let's say they still have all of them. The amount of firepower that the Warriors would have would be ridiculous. Insane. Yeah. And they wouldn't have those injury problems, obviously. But you, ne- you never know. Those injury problems can happen to any player. Yeah, that's a good point. But I think, like, at a certain point, we're going to have to start reevaluating that and just, like, asking if that was really the best decision. Uh, let's talk about Chicago really quick because the Bulls were a team sort of like the Heat that's been struggling as of late despite having some early season success. So one thing we've talked about in relation to Chicago constantly is that they just cannot beat the best teams in the NBA. And so far, that's been true this season. They're 0-16 against the top three teams in each conference. And they're now the five seed when they were the one seed uh, midseason. And I think you have to look at some of the players' individual drop-offs as well as, as a part of this. Look at DeMar's stats in February. 34.2 points per game, 6.2 rebounds, 5.2 assists on 55% shooting. And now in March, he should, he's only scoring 24 a game, 5.5 rebounds. 4.9 assists on 44% shooting. So are you worried about Chicago coming to the playoffs? Does DeMar's drop off for you considering his reputation in the playoffs? And uh, I mean, what are your general thoughts on the Bulls? I'll start with the DeMar thing. I don't really think that worries me. I mean, I think this is just like really just balancing out of his numbers. I mean, 34 points per game is not sustainable for DeMar DeRozan or really any player in the league. Uh, but yeah, like I was saying, I think this is just a leveling out of the statistics. Like, that's kind of just a normal thing. Players go through streaks. Um, it doesn't worry me for the postseason, though, because I think it, at the end of the day, he does have a track record 
but this is this is a team where he doesn't necessarily have to be the, the dominant guy as opposed to those like Raptor days where he it was really just him. Uh, I mean, Kyle Lowry was there, obviously, but Kyle Lowry wasn't the guy scoring the ball most of the time. Uh, so I, I really don't worry too much about that when you have uh, Nick Vucevic there and you also have Zach Levine there, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but Zach Levine has never been in the playoffs before. People always accuse him of being like sort of an empty stats guy. doesn't translate to winning. Um, so there's a lot of like unproven players that, that have a lot to sort of show in this playoff run. Um, how far do you think they're going to go? Do you like this 0-16 statistic, at least to me, is really, really worrying. Like, if Oh, absolutely. That, that is a worrying statistic to me. It's like yes. the thing is, that's 0-16. Like you would like even bad teams beat the top teams, like just like on a fluke win or just like, you know, getting uh, a hot shooting night. But to be 0-16 is really, I think, symptomatic of a larger issue. And so I'm worried. I think that the, the Bulls, they could win a 5-4 seed matchup. But then in the second round, when they have to play a top three seed, they might just get washed. Like, I, I'm pretty worried. And especially considering DeMar's reputation in the playoffs, like, this is a team that could easily just flame out and really disappoint. If, let's say, Steeding stays as his playoff star today, I say they go out in the first round. I do not see them beating the Milwaukee Bucks. No way. I think the top four seeds are a lock, right? It's, I mean, there's a three-game cushion between the four seed and the five seed, and I don't think that's really going to shift because we're talking about good teams. Um, in Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, and Philly, I can't see Chicago beating any of them. Mm. So I think Chicago, a lot of people had them at the beginning of the season as like a first-round exit. A lot of people had them in that four to five seed range. Uh, and I think that's pretty accurate. I really just think most people didn't expect it to come like this. It came in like super hot and then super cold as opposed to coming in like spurts throughout the season. Yeah. Um, so we saw like their max and then the burnout, um, which was pretty unusual for them to stay like the one, two seed the entire season. Um, but it might be indicative of the type of players they have. They have a lot of young guys, maybe didn't pace themselves for the season. Who knows the problems they had exactly. Um, you know, I'm not on the team. Yeah, I don't know. The, I don't know the team. I don't follow them that strictly, um, but we could see them come back stronger next year because they. This is a team that'll be gaining more experience. I mean, keep in mind, this team almost most of their guys like came together this season. Like this is brand new, and they also had a, a ton, of ton of injury. I mean, Lonzo was out most of the season. Uh, I think every single one of the rotational players had some time off, uh, so. I, I, we'll see what happens next season, but I think this season is most likely a first-round exit for them. Yeah, especially considering how stacked the top four is and that statistic. I would be impressed to see Chicago make it out the first round. Um, yeah, I think that, honestly, that's a successful season if you're Chicago and you make it out of the first round. But, you know, one thing about the top four, though, that is scary is, like, I don't think any top four team wants to play the Brooklyn Nets in a first-round series, especially considering the news that, Kyrie is now eligible to play in home games. So let's talk about this. How is this going to impact the rest of the season for the next and their aspirations in the postseason? And, you know, what, what do you make of like the nets against like one of the potential top seeds? Uh, we could go through each matchup and just get your thoughts on that. I was going to say, I don't think this is a hot take whatsoever. The nets are the favorite to win the championship. I do not think that's a hot take. Really? I do not think that's a hot take whatsoever, that the Nets are the favorite to win the championship. After that statement, Kyrie's back for the season. They're the favorite. That plain and simple. 
I don't, I don't care who you are. No team in the world wants to play Kevin Durant. I mean, just think about it. Last season, Kevin Durant by himself with worse role players, like because James Harden was not himself. He was out of it. Kyrie was out of it by himself. He was an inch away, an inch smaller of a foot away from being in the finals against a full Milwaukee team. And the, the, the Bucks won. Obviously, you can say whatever. Teams weren't healthy, blah, blah, blah. End of the day, the Bucks won the championship. The Miami, if you look at the whole entire league, you can say there's more parity. There's more like balanced teams. But the Nets got better. Dude, Seth Curry on the Nets has been absolutely lights out ridiculous. Andre yeah. Drummond has been great for them. We've been making fun of him, you know, when he was on the Lakers, whatever, when he was on the wait, wait, Philly. Say about Andre Drummond. Did you see that video of him um, when he was against that game in Miami? He like got the ball on a fast break and threw up the peace sign to the people running behind him and dunked the ball. Oh, I didn't see that. That's funny. You have to watch it. <laughs> it's like the um, the Chiefs wide receiver um, Tyree Kill when he yeah. got the ball. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I just think the point is their their team is so ridiculously lights out shooting wise. Like there's no team in the league that has anything to slow them down because no matter how many bodies you throw at KD, it doesn't matter. He's just going to shoot over you. No matter how many bodies you throw at Kyrie, he's just too crafty. And then if either of them don't have a shot, you have Seth Curry wide open. You have Patty Mills wide open. You have Joe Harris. Who's is he? Is he back yet? I don't, I don't know. If Joe, I don't think Joe Harris is going to play the rest of the okay, season. Okay, whatever. Even if without Joe Harris, this team just is so deep, and they have like if they need a big, they can throw Nick Claxton. Who what about Ben Simmons? Is he going to play in the postseason? I don't think he's playing this year. Uh, I think the Nets have or Steve Nash made it clear. He said uh, that Ben Simmons is nowhere near ready to play. So yeah. most likely he's not going to be playing even in the postseason, and I don't think they want to throw in that element, uh, just the the unknown. Not that Ben Simmons is a negative for this team, but they just don't want to f- change the chemistry up so drastically uh, to end the season, especially now that Kyrie's back in the mix. Sure. That was something they had been missing as well. So they need to figure out the chemistry on the nightly basis. Still, they're not at their peak. Um, so throwing in a a, a curveball like Ben Simmons might be detrimental to their chances. Just this season. That's not saying Ben Simmons is going to, you know, detriment them next year or anything like that. Um, yeah, definitely would throw like a wrench but, for the years. Yeah, um, exactly. Go through. So, how do you think they match up to every team? Like, so, okay. Just Let's your go opinion on that. As it, as it would be right now, Nets, Sixers. I think we, I mean, we saw this matchup early in the year. Nets won that very convincingly. I think that the, this would actually be a really close series. I think if Harden doesn't shit the bed, it all depends on Harden. <laughs> Because we know yep. Embiid is going to be putting up incredible numbers in the series. He's going to be getting to the free throw line uh, as per usual. <laughs> you know, um, the, this he, would be the longest series of all time, like minutes played in a game or like like actual time, not like minute time. Yeah. Because of the amount of free throws that Joel Embiid and um, James Harden are going to be shooting to combine, it's going to be like an average game time of five hours. <laughs> I think that, yeah, this series would come all down to James Harden, but I. I honestly think that I can't see a world in which the actually I could see the Sixers beating them. I think the Sixers might be the one team I could see beating the Nets in the playoff series. But like if the Nets play the Heat, the Celtics for the Bucks, honestly, actually no, I think the the Nets would beat the Heat and the Celtics, but I think the Bucks would win that. I think the Bucks are just so well rounded, and we saw how like Giannis. Ooh, I don't know. No, I could definitely see the Nets winning for sure. The thing is, they didn't have Kyrie. They had they didn't have Kyrie. 
If, I think you know what the best answer to Kyrie is? The best in the NBA, Drew, Drew Holiday. Yeah, but the, the point is he's not – I mean, he definitely is like not – I wouldn't say nullified. But he's he's contained a little more. But then you still have all the other guys to worry about, and Kyrie can act as a facilitator if he doesn't feel that he can score regularly. I understand. I just think that, like, the Bucks are a really deep defensive team. Like, they have a lot of options to throw at the, at the Nets weapons. So I think, like, yes, the Nets could definitely win that matchup, but I, I would slightly favor the Bucks. Also, they have, like – they're riding off the championship momentum. I think that does factor into something, you know. You have less of the mental weight because, you know, you've been there before. You've done that already. Oh, you yeah. think Kevin Durant's carrying any mental weight? No way. Kevin Durant I'm not talking not- about Kevin Durant. I, Kevin Durant's getting his buckets. Kyrie's getting his buckets. It's it's all the other guys on the team. There's more than just two players on the squad. Yeah, I understand that. But at the end of the day, what matters is your your, your guys. I mean, like, who, who at the end of a close game, the Nets have way more options to turn to than the Bucks. Plain and simple. At the end of a close game, who are you putting the ball in the hands of at the end of the at the end of the game on the on the Bucks? You're probably not giving the ball to Giannis. You're probably giving the ball to Chris Middleton. Most most likely case. If if you are on the other end of the floor and the Nets have 10 seconds on the clock, you can give it to obviously KD or Kyrie's getting the ball. But I trust. Seth Curry just as much to make a shot as I do those two guys. I just think that you, that is true, and I think, uh, but I think you're underrating Giannis, especially in the clutch. I think last year in the finals, he showed us he can dominate in the clutch and when it really matters. He dominated defensively and was out in transition. Even, I think even on offense, especially this year, what I've seen from him, his mid range is much improved. I think people are really sleeping on that, and I think we're going to see that really come to shine in the playoffs. And so, look, I think this would be an insane first round series. Like the fact we would get uh, the Bucks versus the Nets in the first round, that would be insane. But oh my God. if that was a first round matchup, that's literally just like a, that feels like a finals to start the postseason. That's the great thing. We're going to get so spoiled. Whoever the Nets play in the first round, that's the series to watch in the playoffs. In the yeah. I, I know we're talking about the Nets a ton, but let's just, I, I feel like it's not the same, but you still have the Lakers as like a team that's going to be like competing in one of those, like, crazy first round battles as well most okay, likely but the lakers have to make the play in first they play the pelicans tonight they could theoretically miss the play in miss the play in <laughs> not even the playoffs the play in they could be the 11th seed because the spurs are winning the pels are winning and the lakers are losing it's just it's miserable man but i see I mean, what you're saying. there is a lot of potential there with a healthy anthony davis lebron and westbrook they could make noise yeah absolutely we'll, we'll see what the lakers can do but uh we don't have to talk about them too much tonight. This <laughs> the one night we're not going to talk about them. Um, so let's see. We we just talked about uh, Jason Tatum and Kyrie Irving already, but let's let's talk about the the one has to go case here. This is something you wrote down, so I don't exactly know it, but why don't you tell me about yeah, it? Yeah. So basically, it's just a fun little thing I saw on NBA Twitter, um, and it's just like one of these players has to go. Meaning, like if you had to eliminate one of these players, like the worst player of this bunch. Who would it be? So, Paul George, Kyrie Irving, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum. Man, I love myself two-way players. I, I I just love guys who can play defense and offense. Are we talking like this year? Or are we talking like in their primes? I mean, like, are we taking are we taking like Indiana Paul George or like OKC I, I Paul think, George? I think the best Paul George we saw was last year in the playoffs. Like that was a. Incredible Paul George as well. So, yeah, um, that Paul George, 
current day Kyrie, current day D-Book. I'm going to have to take D-Book off this list for sure. Uh, it's so hard because you look at D-Book and how he's like winning with his team, 60 wins. Like... I, but like one, one of these guys has got to go. If I'm making a team and I have a roster and I am signing three max contracts, each of these guys said yes to me. I want a max deal with your team. I'm taking Paul George, Kyrie Irving, and Jason Tatum. That is scary. I'll let Devin Booker go to whatever other team. I'm winning the trip this year. Okay, well, we'll rank. Let's rank the players. Um, so I think who is the best player on this list? Kyrie. Kyrie's the best player. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, I think people like people forget how good Kyrie is. People underestimate him right now. They really do. Kyrie's the best think, on this list. I think Kyrie is easily, or not easily, but I think he definitely is the best. Just the reason why we don't talk about him as much is because he misses time a lot due to injury and due to like, you know, this recent- mental health awareness or illness <laughs> and all that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's missed time due to mental health, regardless yeah. of his, the COVID stuff. I mean, he missed a lot of last season due to that before the COVID thing was an issue. Yeah. So um, I think, um, you know, Kyrie, when he plays, I think he has the, I think he is the best player. Um, but it's just like a matter of getting on the court. And then, so who would you have as number two then, Paul George or Jason Tatum? That's hard. That one is really hard because it's like Jason Tatum goes through streaks and like in the postseason that we've seen him struggle, whereas we've seen the same thing in the Paul George. But we've also seen Paul George just dominate in the postseason at the same time. And yeah. we haven't seen that as much out of Jason Tatum. We have seen that in 2018 in his first season, but we haven't really seen it since then. So I'm going to have to give it to Paul George. I'll give it to Paul George too. You made a convincing argument. And then I guess we go Tatum at three, Booker at four. But that's really hard. I think all these players are so close to each other in terms of talent that like... Except Kyrie. What do you talent? We're talking... We're putting him in terms of talent. There's an argument that you could say Kyrie is the most talented player of all time. No, I'm saying like a talent in terms of just like basketball ability, you know, like, okay. Yeah. Yes. I didn't mean like pure technical skill. Cause yes, Kyrie. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to compare, uh, you know, Tatum's handle <laughs> to Kyrie or whatever. Um, but yeah. So I guess that's all we really have for this episode. Uh, just one, one little update. The score is uh, 40 to 47 for Kansas now. So oh, yeah. Our prediction they, is coming, coming to fruition. Uh, they, they've got, they, uh, Went on a 13-point swing because uh, I saw that Miami was up by six to end the half. Yeah, so, so yeah, that's, that's a pretty – hey, I think you were kind of – maybe you were right about that demoralization right there, that one big run. I'm maybe they're like, oh, you, shoot. Uh, maybe. 22 is my year for predictions. Yeah, hey, but uh, hey, it might be your year for predictions, but I, I took Kansas to win it all, and right now that's not looking like a bad bet. Yeah, it's pretty good, pretty damn yeah. good. Well, uh, in the, on that note – Thank you all so much for listening. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you all. Um, and we will see you next week with another episode. Peace. So take care. Uh, we will see you then. Bye-bye.